0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Jonathan mentioned, if you are new here, you'll see in your bulletin, there's a connection card. Uh, Feel free to fill that out. Would love to get together with you. It's how I get to know people, grabbing coffee or lunch or whatever it might be. Um, So please fill that out and put it in the offering basket. We're going to kind of jump in because we're a little tight on time, but this summer we're walking through the Apostles' Creed together, which as Pastor Jonathan pointed out last week, does not have the authority of scripture But the church has confessed it throughout the generations as a summary of Scripture. And so I would ask that you would recite it with me. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the faithful saints throughout history that have written this down so that we could Have a unifying statement that professes the core of what we believe, of what the Bible proclaims, of what the apostles spoke as inspired by your Holy Spirit, God. Pray that as we walk through this creed together this summer, that it will not just become something that we memorize in our heads, but that we cherish in our hearts These are not just dry doctrines, but these are truths that transform our life and give us the hope and joy of eternity. And so, Lord, press it deep into our hearts that we will speak it and sing it with great rejoicing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as many of you know, this past week, I went on vacation and we started a new tradition in my family that when one of our children becomes a teenager, they get to go on a special trip. Uh, I take the boys. Trisha takes the girl. Well, my oldest son, Corbin, turned 13. And so I asked him what he wanted to do. And he wanted to go on a fishing trip with dad. Now, if you were here about a month ago, I shared with you that I am a horrible fisherman. I am as bad as fishermen can possibly be. And I tell my children, if you remember, that the reason why we don't catch any fish is because they're repelled by my attractiveness. I don't think they believe it, but that's what I tell them. Well, we went up to the Manaqua area and we went to several lakes, I think four or five lakes, and we caught absolutely nothing uh, for several days. And so again, I'm feeling like a failure as a father, but then finally, finally, my son Corbin caught an enormous fish. Here's a picture of it. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> so good, so good. So he caught his fish, kind of, sort of, um, but, but after this, uh, it was just so good to spend time with my son. I love spending time with my children. I love the one-on-one time. After this, uh, son, the rest of my family came up, and we spent a bunch of time together. And as the days went on, what I realized was that my patience as a father began to get shorter and shorter and shorter. And, and, and contrastingly, my appreciation for my wife got bigger and bigger and bigger. But I started to do things like just, you know, bark at my children, roll my eyes, like kind of have, you know, why are you doing that? So, you know, those types of mannerisms, everything a good father does, right? No, no good father does this. And so I decided to do something that I have never done before. I put myself in timeout. And it was awesome. Like, I'm not sure why I had never thought about this before. And I don't know why kids dislike timeout. I went away by myself. I was able to chill. I was able to relax. I was able to say, Lord, forgive me for what a jerk I am to my children. Help me to be a better father and to pray that my children will be better fathers than I, will, than I am. Today we get to the part of the Apostles' Creed where we profess with our mouths that we believe in God, the Father Almighty. And there is a problem with this profession. And the problem is not that it is unbiblical, but that the title that is given to God, Father, is inaccurately represented here on earth by earthly fathers. Let me give you this example. Coming up in, in two weekends, we are going to be celebrating Father's Day. And as we celebrate Father's Day, I know that many of us come to that day with mixed emotions, you know, some of us had great fathers. You know, the, the t-shirts that says number one dad. Like your dad actually deserved that t-shirt because he really was the number one dad. He prayed with you. He studied the Bible with you. He, 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 he provided for you. He, you know, he, he emulated the love of the heavenly father towards you. But I'm guessing that is not the case for most of us. Others of you had horrific fathers. Fathers that abused you. Fathers that abused your mother. Some of you I know had fathers put guns to your head. That is detestable. Others of us have fathers that were absent. Either they left our family at a young age to go pursue another life or maybe they came home at night but they were absent physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. Or or maybe your dad was absent at no fault of his own because he passed away when you were a young child. I'm guessing for most of us, we had an average father. A father that struggled with sin. A father that lost his patience at times, But a father that also loved you and cared for you. Here's the thing. Whatever father you had, they are an insufficient representative of your heavenly father. Even if you had the best father. He is an insufficient representative of your heavenly father. Because your heavenly father is so much better. And so today, we just want to look at our heavenly father. And we want to, we want to draw deep from this well to understand Who the Father is that we have if we trust in Christ for our salvation. So if you would please open up to Romans chapter 8. We will be looking at verses 14 through 39. It is page 944 in the Red Bible. Uh, You should see in the seat in front of you there are some red Bibles. If you do not own a Bible, Romans chapter 8. It has been said, you know, if you're stuck on a desert island and you could take one book of the Bible with you, you would take the book of Romans. And if you could take one chapter from the book of Romans... You would take Romans chapter 8. And the reason why you would take Romans chapter 8 is because it reminds us of the love of our Almighty Father. So, Romans chapter 8, it's a longer passage today. Uh, We're going to be reading verses 14 through 39. Romans 8, verse 14. This is God's word For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him. In order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time. For what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Abba, Father, Papa, we thank you that we can come to you in such a relationship of intimacy and love. God, we all have daddy issues. We all live at times like we are orphans, like we are not loved. Help us to know deep in our souls the love of our Heavenly Father today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. According to fatherhood.org and thefatherlessgeneration.com, Fatherless children are two times more likely to die in infancy. They're four times more likely to end up in poverty. Five times more likely to commit suicide. Seven times more likely to end up as a pregnant teen. Nine times more likely to drop out of high school. 14 times more likely to commit rape. 20 times more likely, 20 times more likely to be incarcerated And 32 times more likely to run away from home. The influence of a father is statistically undeniable. You know, as I visit with people and as I hear their stories, one of the major parts of their story is their relationship with their earthly father. It directs them, it guides them, it sends them down a certain trajectory. But the good news that we read today is that we do not need to be defined by the failures of our Father because we have available to us the perfect Father, our heavenly Father, our lovingly Father. And so that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at our Almighty Father. So first... We confess, I believe in God the Father. Now, there are many different types of fathers, as we discussed earlier. There are great fathers, there are absent fathers, there are abusive fathers. What kind of father is God? Well, the first thing we learn about God is that God is an adopting father. Romans 8, 14 starts us off, says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. When you read this verse in context, what you find out is that in verse 14, Paul is trying to give us a litmus test so that we can understand whether or not we truly are children of God. And so if you look back, just one verse in verse 13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so Paul is saying, if you want to know if you are a child of God or not, which all of us should want to know, if you want to know if you are a child of God or not, just see if the Spirit is at work inside of you. And how do you know if the Spirit is at work inside of you? Are you putting sin to death and living more and more on to God? Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? It's not that we are perfect. It's not that we don't backslide. It's not that we don't mess up. But do we see that God is at work in our lives, changing and transforming us? And if the Spirit is at work inside of us, then you are a child of God. He continues, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, why is this that Paul is addressing Christians and telling them that you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear? What would a Christian be afraid of? Well, given the context as we grow in our awareness of our sinfulness, which happens when you are a Christian. When you grow in the awareness of your sinfulness and you grow in the awareness of God holiness, there can be a fear of God that we can no longer come to God when we mess up. Because God will reject us. God will shame us. God will, God will condemn us. But Paul says No. You need not fear God in that way. We must fear him as a father who loves us and disciplines us, but you no longer need to fear him as judge because back in Romans 8.1, just a few verses earlier, do you remember what Paul says? He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so Paul says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back in fear. You do not need to be afraid of of, of God as judge if you are a Christian. You need to fear him as your father, but not as a judge that will condemn you. He says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You know, maybe you come here this week and you are just overwhelmed by your failures. Maybe as a dad, you're you're overwhelmed by your failures as a father. Maybe you're here today just overwhelmed by the sin that you keep returning to and you think, I cannot go to God again again. He's going to discard me. He's going to send me away. Paul says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This term Abba is an Aramaic term that, that is a term of intimacy in and endearment. Daddy, Papa, Father. Father. It's, it's a term of, of safety, of dependency. Jesus himself uses it when he's in the garden and he's crying out in desperation to God, saying, Abba, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup of wrath from me, but your will be done. And God gives this language to us to come to him, a spirit of adoption, to cry out to him in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our brokenness, to come to him and say, Abba, Father, without fear of judgment, but receiving his love. Verse 16 continues, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Not only if you trust in Christ, are you a child of God? But God wants to constantly remind you again and again and again that you belong to him, that you are his child. And so he gives you the spirit to remind you, to assure you, yes, you are a child of God. You are a beloved child of God. In John 17, Jesus prays something to the Father that is very interesting. Jesus is praying for us and he says, and he prays that the world may know the Father loved them even as you love me. Jesus is praying for you and for me that we would know that the Father Almighty loves you as much as he loves Jesus, his one and only son. Several years ago, I was having lunch with a friend and he and his wife were considering adoption and I asked him how he was feeling about this and he said that he was afraid. And I had my guesses of of what he was afraid of, but I was wrong. I said, Well, what are you afraid of? And he said, I'm afraid that I won't love my adopted child as much as I love my biological child. Well, he and his wife adopted a child. Several years later, I sat down with him again and I said, So, what's the story? What's the verdict? You can be honest. Do you love your adopted child as much as you love your biological child? And his response was immediate. So I'm kind of like, <clears throat> "Like what a silly question. Of course I do. I love him just as much as I love my biological children. I have the same heart, the same compassion. I treasure him just as much. <laughs> Friends, do not get used to this concept that God loves you as much as he loves his one and only son, Jesus Christ. You are adopted by him, but you are as beloved as his son, Jesus. And so our God is an adopting father, but that's not all. He adopts us, but God is also a generous father to his children. Verse 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. An heir is someone entitled to a property or a rank of another person upon their death. Usually an heir is a a son or a daughter or grandchildren or something of that sort. And what Paul says here is that we are heirs. Not upon God's death, but upon our death. And, And we receive an inheritance. Now what is that inheritance? Well, verse 17 again says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. We are heirs of many things and many benefits, some of which we will get into later. But the greatest thing that we are an heir of is God himself. That we get to go and be in the presence of our Heavenly Father for all eternity. Paul continues and says, And fellow heirs with Christ, who has the same benefits as us, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I don't think Paul's making a qualification here, saying, Unless you suffer with Christ, you're not going to be glorified. I think what Paul is saying is, Listen, all of us suffer, right? Christian, non Christian, everybody suffers. The question isn't whether you will suffer or not. The question is, Are you going to suffer with Christ and in Christ and for Christ or apart from Christ? And so if you are suffering in this world with Christ, Christ along your side, then you can be assured that you will be in glory with Christ for all eternity. And so Paul here promises us an inheritance, which he calls glory. God gives his children a future glory in heaven with the Father. This promise of glory is amazing because we live in a corrupted world, a world corrupted by sin, where there is sickness, where there is disease, where there is fatherlessness, where there is death, where there is abuse, where there is injustice, and pain, and crying, and mourning. I don't have to tell you, you've experienced it. But glory is perfect. It is happy. It is holy forever. And the generous gift of our adopted father is to give us a glorious future apart from the miseries of this world that are far greater than the miseries of this world. That's why in verse 18 he continues and says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, which are awful, says they are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 19, for the creation not just us but creation waits with eager longing for the re- revealing of the sons of god for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of god you see the reality is is the fall of mankind the sin of adam and eve and our sin has brought Death and destruction on all of creation, not just humanity. You can see how our sin has affected the world through things like pollution or through abuse. You can see it through even natural disasters called hurricanes and earthquakes. All of this is a result of our rebellion against God. And so all of creation is longing for restoration. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now this is saying we wait eagerly for adoptions. It's not saying that we're not already adopted. Paul says plenty of places that we are children of God, that we've been adopted by God. But the full benefits of our adoption will not be actualized until heaven. That's when we will get a new heavens and a new earth. That's when we will get new bodies with no more suffering or pain. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You know, C.S. Lewis summarizes what Paul is communicating here so well. C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, which all of us experience, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Our generous adopting father has promised us a glorious eternity in his presence forever. And if that was not wonderful enough, God does not only promise us a future gift, but even a present gift. God the Father also gives his children a present spirit. Now I'm using this word present in two ways. Present meaning not only is it not future, it's, it's now, but present as in in attendance, right? Present here, right? The spirit is with us, not only with us, but dwelling in us Romans 8 shows us how the gift of the Holy Spirit is such a generous and wonderful gift from God the Father. In verse 2, it says that the Spirit has set us free from the power of sin and death. Verse 6 tells us the Spirit gives us life and peace. Verse 16 says the Spirit assures us when we are doubting that we are indeed beloved children of God. And then we get to verse 26, this majestic verse. Says, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray. For as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. You know, we have many weaknesses. But one of our weaknesses is that we don't know how to pray sometimes. Maybe because we're distracted by our own agenda. Maybe because we're confused about what the right thing is to pray for in a certain situation. Or maybe because we are just hurting so bad, we do not know how to articulate our pain. And what we are promised here is that in our weakness, when we know not what to pray or how to pray, the Spirit, a generous gift of the Father, intercedes for us. For when words fail to carry the freight of our suffering and pain, when it cannot accurately communicate the sorrow that we are going through, the sorrow that we are feeling, the Spirit groans for us and within us a language that the Father understands, even if we don't. You know, one thing I'm amazed by is how a mom can understand the groans and the cries of an infant, you know, a, a little baby will go, Wah! you know, and, and my wife, you know, their mom will say, oh, you know, baby's thirsty. I'm like, how'd you get it out of that? Like, I didn't, I didn't get that, but she's right. baby's. And then baby. Wah! Oh, baby's cold. How do you know that? Like moms just get it. They can. Wah! Oh, they want to be held. Like, how do moms know that? Oh, they want a iced coffee from Starbucks, right? Like, the, like moms can just hear the groans. They can hear the cries and they know. Now, moms don't always get the groans right. They do more than the dads typically, but moms don't always get the groans of their children right. But God the Father always does through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are here today hurting so deeply and you are so confused about life, maybe even about God. You've been hurt by your earthly fathers to such an extent that the pain is just oozing out of you. And groaning is all you can do. That groaning is a gift to you, from God, by the Holy Spirit. And even if you do not know what that groaning means, God does through the Holy Spirit. Verse 27 continues, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the Holy Spirit who perfects our prayers. The Spirit edits our prayers and translates our prayers and intercedes for us before the Father as we pray. You know, there there are times in my life where I need intercessors because I don't, necessarily understand the language that's going on. I, I think I've shared this before, but one time my wife and I were trying to figure out our healthcare insurance and we were trying to work with the exchange, which was very difficult to do. And I had an insurance broker. And so we made this three-way phone call. And so it was me, my insurance broker and, and uh, you know healthcare.gov or whatever it was. And so we're on the phone and the person on the other line says, is this Dan Jackson? I said, yes, it is. Do you give permission to your insurance broker to talk on your behalf? Yes, I do, because I communicated to him everything that we were looking for. And so my insurance broker and this person uh, at, at the healthcare industry are having this conversation, and I only know about half the words they're using. I don't understand what they're saying. But by the end of the conversation, they say, okay, Dan Jackson, you are approved for health insurance. Wonderful. That's what I wanted. I just didn't know how to communicate it. In the same way, the Spirit is interceding for us, is speaking for us, is communicating with our Heavenly Father on our behalf. This is an awesome gift from our Heavenly Father. And so, how do we apply this? Pray. Pray bold prayers, pray weak prayers, pray long prayers, pray short prayers, pray clear prayers, pray confused prayers, pray joyful prayers, pray sad prayers. Pray and pray confidently, knowing that the Holy Spirit will take whatever you pray and intercede before your Father in heaven. What a generous heavenly Father we have who adopts us orphans, us rebels into his holy family, who says, call me Papa, call me Abba, call me Father, who gives us an inheritance of a future glory with him forever, and who gives us right now the Holy Spirit to intercede, to comfort, to encourage us. God is an adopting father. He is a generous father. And as the creed says, he is also an almighty father. You see, we don't confess that God is simply mighty, but that God is almighty. Meaning that he is all powerful, that he can do anything and everything. And it's interesting having these words together, Father and Almighty, because in some ways these words are kind of juxtaposition to one another. Father communicates intimacy and nearness of God, where Almighty communicates the otherness and bigness of God. And yet both of these have to be true for us to have any hope in this world or the world to come. You see, if God is Almighty but is not Father, then he will simply smite us. But if God is Father and not Almighty, then he does not have the power to carry out his loving plan. But because God is both Father and Almighty, then he can not only love us intimately, but he can actually fulfill the intentions of his love. And that's what we see here in this passage. The Almighty power of our loving Father for us. First off, we see that our Almighty Father is so powerful that he can actually transform us from one degree of glory to another. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now this may seem like a silly question, but let me ask, what goes under the umbrella of all things? I'll give you a quiz. Does all things include big things like a new job? Does all things include small things like when you take a wrong turn? Does all things include happy things like the birth of a child? Does all things include sad things like the death of a child? Does all things include good things like love and peace and joy? Does all things include evil things like mass shootings and terrorism and divorce. It is so important that when we read verse 28, that we understand that God does not call all things good. That's not what that verse says. Matter of fact, Isaiah 520, God says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. These things, many of these things are evil. God does not call these things good, but rather it says for those who love God, God will use all things, even awful things, sad things, horrible things. He will use all things for the good of those who love him. That's how powerful our God is. Now, how does God use these difficult things in life for our good? Let's look at verse 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And then here it is. Here's the good that God brings out of all things to be conformed To the image of his son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know, many of you here can testify how you have been through extremely difficult things in your life and how you would never want those difficult things to be repeated in your life. But at the same time, you would not trade those difficulties. Because you know it was through that difficulty that God has refined you. Through that difficulty that God has drawn you back to himself. Through those difficult things that he has conformed you into the image of Christ. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now I don't have time to go into the explanation of all of these big words. But in verse 28 through 30, what Paul is trying to communicate to us to help us understand is how almighty our Father is for us. God foreknows us. He foreloves us. He predestines us unto salvation. He calls us, wooing us to himself. He justifies us, declaring us righteous on, as he gives us Christ's righteousness. And he glorifies us as we talked about earlier. And what this passage is teaching us is that God, not you, is the author and perfecter of your faith. You are not the one who saves you and sanctifies you, God is. You are not the one who justifies you and glorifies you, God is. This is great news. Because as one author put it, he said, a salvation that is completely dependent on God is completely dependable. Did you get that? A salvation that is completely dependent on God is completely dependable. Contrastingly, a salvation that is dependent on you is completely undependable. I mean, I I don't think any of us are even going to get out of the sanctuary this morning without having a sinful thought, right? Our Almighty Father, through His power, transforms us from sinner to saint, from the image of man to the image of Christ, from the life this life to the life to come, we also see the power of our Almighty Father to keep us. Verse 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God, our Almighty Father, is for us, who can be against us? Let's pause there. How can you gauge how much someone is for you? How much, you know, a friend is for you, a stranger is for you. Your pastor is for you. Imagine, imagine you lose your job and you don't have a lot of money. And I say, you know what? Let me take you out to coffee, my treat. So we go out to coffee. I buy you a cup of coffee and spend an hour with you. Oh, you know, Pastor Dan, he's for me. He spent $2.50 on me in an hour of his life. And what if I said, you know what? Let's go to the grocery store, get whatever you want. I'll pay for it. It's on me. And you're like, wow, Pastor Dan, he's, he's really for me. Like, you know, $300 for me. What if I say, you know what, I know times are tough. We'll we'll cover your mortgage this month. You're gonna think, Wow, Pastor Dan is he's really for me, right? What if I said, you know what? Been praying about it. Trish doesn't necessarily agree, but we're gonna sell our house. And we're going to move into a homeless shelter. And we're going to take all the proceeds to pay off your house. So you don't have to worry about a mortgage anymore. You'd be like, wow, Pastor Dan is really, really, really for me. It's a little bit scary how for me Pastor Dan is, right? Call the same asylum. Like there's something wrong here. We know how much someone is for us by the degree they sacrifice for us. And so children of God, let me ask you this question. How much is God for you? How much has God your Father sacrificed for you? Verse 32 tells us He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. What is the extent of the Father's love for you? Is it a cup of coffee? (laughs) A mortgage? It's far greater. He gave up that which was most precious to him in the entire world. His only son to gain you. This is how much God is for you. This is the extent of God's love for you. And so Paul concludes in verse 32 saying, how will he not also graciously give us all things? If he gives up his son to save you and to draw him to himself, won't he provide for all of your needs as he sees to be wise and right and true? I mean, if I gave you my house but said you can't keep the toothpicks, it doesn't make sense. God gave up this great sacrifice to draw you to himself. Won't he provide for all of your needs as well? You can trust the almighty father who is powerful and mighty to save and to protect and to care. Now Paul moves on and he says, who can be against us? He's not saying like who can oppose us because obviously Jesus was opposed. He died. The apostles were opposed. They died. Christians throughout history were opposed. They died. And so he's not saying no one will oppose us. And so what does he mean by who can be against us? Well, I think Paul helps us understand that question In this this passage, verse 35, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then later in verse 39, he's talking about the separating from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when Paul says, who can be against us? He's saying, who can separate us? Who has the power to separate us from the love of God? Who has the power and the might to do so? Who can rip us away from our father's arm. And then he goes through this to show us that no scenario can. First, he starts with our sin. Can our sin separate from the love of God in Christ? Verse 33, he says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And so whoever brings accusation against you, whether it be Satan, whether it be those who you have harmed, whether it be your, your sensitive conscience, they bring the accusations to the judge who justified you, who declared you right at the cross. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We know Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. Is Jesus going to change his mind about you? Is he going to say, you know what? They've messed up too much. I'm done with them. And Paul says, no. He's interceding for us. He died for us. He rose for us. It's not going to change. And so our sin cannot break the power of the love of God for us. What about our suffering? Verse 35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, when we are being persecuted, when we are suffering, our tendency is to say, God must be against us. But Paul continues and says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How are we more than conquerors when we suffer, when we are persecuted, even when we are put to death? Well, we studied this in this passage, that God will take the hard things in life and use them for our good to conform us to the image of Christ. And even if we die, even if we perish, it is gain. We get to go and be in glory forever. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, To live is Christ. To die is gain. My desire is to depart. That is to die and be with Christ, which is better by far. What is better than living is dying. The psalmist says, For a day in your courts, O God, is better than a thousand days elsewhere. One day in heaven is greater than a thousand days at Disney. One day in heaven is greater than a thousand days at the beach. One day in heaven is greater than a thousand days of Christmas. This is how almighty our Father is. That he takes the great separator of death and makes it the great uniter in glory for all eternity. He moves on and he throws away all basic uh, Particularities and uses overarching statements to show that nothing can separate from the love of God. Verse 38, he says, For I am sure, absolutely certain, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul makes a statement to show us that there is nothing, absolutely nothing powerful enough to separate us from our Heavenly Father. You know, when I was a kid, we had a sewer in our front yard and I wanted to see what was under the sewer lid. And so I got some sticks and I pried up the sewer lid. And I stuck my fingers under that sewer lid because I was confident in my, in my abilities and my might to lift this thing up. Well, I stuck my fingers underneath. And I found out very quickly that I was not strong enough. That I was not powerful enough. And so there I was with my fingers pinched in this sewer lid. And I quickly abandoned the thought that my might was enough. And so I cried out, Dad! Dad! And my dad came running as fast as my dad could run. And he came and he lifted up that sewer lid because my dad had the power, my dad had the might to free me from that. You know, the reason we question our security of our salvation is because we are looking to the wrong secure of our salvation. We do not have the power, we do not have the might. But our father does and he promises us through his power to keep us, to transform us. And to bring us home to glory with him. Let me end with this. There's a Spanish story of a father. And a son who became estranged. The son ran away. And the father set off to find him. And he searched for months for his son. But to no avail. Finally in one last desperate effort. The father put an ad in the Madrid newspaper. And the ad said this. Dear Paco. Meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. Well, on Saturday at noon in front of the newspaper office, 800 Pacos showed up looking for the love and forgiveness of their father. Fellow Pacos, (laughs) all of us long for a father who pursues us, who says, all is forgiven. I will love you forever and ever. And although we can thank God for our fathers who have done this in part and imperfectly here in this world, our Father Almighty offers it to us to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. For he is our adopting father. He is a generous father who promises us a future glory, but a present Holy Spirit. He is our almighty father who transforms us from one degree of glory to another and keeps us in his love for all eternity. I believe in God, my father almighty. Do you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great reminder that we are your children and that you are the all-powerful Father who cares for us and who keeps us. Lord, as we turn to your table, let us re- be reminded of the extent that you love us, that you are for us, that you would sacrifice even your own son to gain us to yourself, to make wretches your treasure. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus. On the-